0: Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast, here to talk all things hockey. Are your hosts Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger.
1: At what point do we just no longer consider Max a guest on the podcast?
2: I honestly we should do what they do on like the Star Wars count like the Jedi Council where they just have the hologram. <laughs> Because I think we're limiting ourselves with the phone interview, but yeah, at this point, especially we can just project him right into Evan's seat, <laughs> and most of the time it won't even be overlaid on Evan; it'll just be on the empty seat, right, Evan? And that's right, he's not here today.
1: So, to whichever one of you mentioned that Evan needed to start missing episodes again because he's getting too regular, congratulations, you ruined it. Look what you did. <laughs> Look what
2: you did. We go. I went, when when we got the message from Evan that said, "Oh, I won't be able to make it." I went, "Oh, I haven't seen that in a while." <laughs> I feel like I've just flashed back to like two months ago. <laughs> uh, so obviously on this podcast, uh, we have uh, Max Boltman on and we're going to jump to that interview in a second. Uh, a couple of big things. Um, we'll obviously flesh out more detail. Well, you'll hear my voice again, um, talking about potential trade avenues for the Detroit Red Wings uh, this off season. Uh, and then all the controversies surrounding um, refereeing. So this follows a uh, short, but heated debate between us and our group chat um, lots of gifts, a lot of Game of Thrones gifts. By the way, I'm we're not gonna talk about Game of Thrones because I got I got genuine hate mail. I've I've gotten it before. I, I've had people call me, you know, mean names and whatever, call me dumbass. I'm right here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I got genuine hate mail over, you know, talking about an episode that happened six days prior, and which like it's the biggest TV show in history. Watch it or don't consume media. Um, or like my takes about Game of Thrones, like people like getting mad at me for that i'm like that is a testament to how much you value hockey and how much
1: people value game of thrones i'm not sure what to make of it it was just surprising well the group chat that led to this was kind of a perfect summary of all of it because it started with a joke about me wearing the shortest of shorts oh yeah and then you responded with the Larkin looking up, shocked <laughs> <laughs> gif, followed by Max posting Joe Thornton drinking something and looking sarcastic, to which I just put in Ramsey Bolton smirk because it just applied so perfectly. I one correction. It didn't start with the shortest of shorts. That was a reply to my power move, which was I would take oh, off my pants. Oh, go pantsless because yeah. I was going to put on my debating pants. Yeah. And you're like, I'll go pantsless. And then I reminded you that my debating pants are the shorts, shortest of shorts, which honestly, that was a
2: great one. Without further ado, before this spirals <laughs> into somewhere where we can't come back from, uh, our interview with uh, Max Boltman. Enjoy. And welcome to the interview portion of the Winged Wheel podcast here with us. You're very familiar with him, Max Boltman of The Athletic. Max, thank you for coming out. We know you had some errands to run earlier, but uh, we appreciate you coming back. Uh, you are officially, your lawn is officially mowed. You've tackled the beast.
0: You could call it mode. I didn't use a lawnmower. I used a weed whacker. So right. You could call it mode. It's cut. I cut the grass. That's a fact. And only ruined one pair of jeans. Yeah. It might not even be ruined. Like, we have yet to see how that, how that ends. <laughs> the
2: saga continues. And just like that, you've cemented yourself as a returning guest yet again. Because we are <laughs> dying to know. So this, uh, yeah. this episode, we actually have uh, a couple big contentious talk, topics uh, to talk about. Um, one of them, I, I feel like we're not going to be fighting so much with each other, and that's the uh, article that you put out on potential trades and avenues that the Red Wings could look at um, this offseason uh And the other one, obviously, which is the hot topic in hockey, is uh the review system, so we'll put a pin in that one and we're gonna jump into the trade so uh walk us through basically how uh what you're thinking it was for this article and and just a, a spark notes on on what you kind of um put a lens on here
0: yeah well it it's sort of based around the you know a premise that we've gotten into even on on the show in the past about. You know the, the the concept of patience and whether that means you just stand pat and wait for things or whether whether there can be some act some kind of active patience and I guess that's kind of what this article was about is are there moves you can make right now that are you know they are kind of win now moves but they're but more they are more than that they're win down the line moves like they're they're decidedly building moves uh, that have a long view in mind that also you know they have to they just happen earlier than than maybe you anticipate the main effect being. And so I kind of looked into some guys who have kind of emerged as presumably or thought to be available on the trade market, Colin Miller from Vegas, Jacob Truba, because uh, if I didn't use him, the whole comments would have been hijacked by what about Truba. And, uh, and then I checked in with our Tampa Bay writer uh, about Ryan Callahan, and I checked in with our athletic beat writers on all three players just to kind of see what they think – um, the cost on those guys might be, and, and so they they wrote a little blurb about why they're available, what their situation is, and what it might cost. And then I kind of did an analysis about whether it would or wouldn't, or sometimes didn't come to a conclusion on whether it would make sense for the Red Wings. So you know, certainly there was a lot there. I mean, it was a long article, but I think I think it was I think there was some interesting stuff. in like some of those players, I I think especially the Ryan Callahan one make a lot of sense for the Red Wings.
2: The, uh, well, yeah, let's start with that one, actually, the Ryan Callahan one. <laughs> Some of the, I want to say this has been the most interesting comment section on any of your articles. Uh, definitely a lot more colorful than I think what anyone's used to seeing on a Max Boltman article, but that's a good thing. I <laughs> mean, you, you struck a chord, different chords, but you struck a chord with a lot of people.
1: Yeah, Max, are you high?
0: I <laughs> uh, prefer not to answer.
2: <laughs> like a true American. <laughs> So we have uh, we, we have the, the Callahan proposal being put forward, and we've chatted about that on, on the show as well. In my subjective opinion, that one made a ton of sense to me because for a team that's likely to employ at least one aging contract or veteran that maybe not everyone else agrees with, why not get some value out of it? And, and there's a lot of different opportunities, depending on how Tampa Bay would value that cap release. Uh, or relief in terms of giving up Callahan, but there's a lot of opportunities for Detroit to gain from it. So whether that's a draft pick or uh, even I know Joe Smith named some prospects I could look that he looked into, and it was funny because he kind of wrote them off as you know the best of the rest, maybe not the cream of the crop, but then when you dove into them, they were some pretty effective or, or exciting center prospects.
0: Yeah, I mean again, this is the this is the thing about Tampa Bay, right? It's like they have this history of of turning B prospects into or thought to be B prospects into really good (laughs) players. And so a lot of these names that, you know, literally just might not have room to crack the Tampa Bay lineup are guys that to me would be, you know, maybe top 10 prospects for the Red Wings. Some of these guys, I mean, you don't, you don't know. Some of them are, you know, guys who are performing at the AHL level, which you guys, Obviously, no, it doesn't always translate to the AHL level. But two of the names that he mentioned were Alex Bar- Barbeau and uh, Taylor Radius, and those are you know two really high scorers in the um, in the American League this year. So, and both at age 21, uh, 21 or twenty two. So those are guys with earnings that I'm sure would love to add to their system as just kind of throw-ins or sweeteners for a Ryan Callahan deal. Um, and and on top of that, one of the points I made and. I got some pushback in this, in the comments, but I think Ryan Callahan is also a straight up upgrade for the year uh, on the third line. Like, I don't think he's going to be a, he's not going to be what I, what we all think of as Ryan Callahan when it first comes to our mind. But uh, when you, when you compare some of the names who could be there, and that's a, that's a line that could make some sense for Philip Zadina, alongside Franz Nielsen, um, Ryan Callahan makes, to me, a good deal of sense as a guy who who fits there can play really smart, responsible hockey without sacrificing a ton in the, you know, the offensive IQ department, at least he might not be, you know, he's not as spry certainly as he, as he once would have been, but I, I think there's, there's still be something there.
1: View to assume Blasio would play Callahan only on the third line?
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess it's always possible that the second line becomes like, I don't know. Denning, uh, Callahan, <laughs>
2: <to you. laughs> yeah, I think Brad's mic got cut off there, but yeah, he said it's bold for Max to assume that. I Yeah, for me, I, I think if, if you have that read on that, that's great. It wasn't my first thought, admittedly, um, but I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I'm not a big proponent of bringing Vanek back. I, I think Callahan might bring back less pure offensive touch, but... Yeah, truly. Sure. If you're bringing Callahan in, and with the state the team's in right now, and again, this team isn't in win now mode. If you can get something decent, why not? Why not use that cap hit that you're going to use on an aging veteran to bring something else in? It's just it kind of makes way too much sense. And when we were chatting about this, you made a great point. Who knows? The Tampa Bay prospect system may be better than even Tampa Bay right now. Right. right. So, hey, Steve
0: Eisenman. Yeah. Hey. It's
2: not bad. <laughs> so, Did you guys know he's the Red Wings GM now? Oh, you know what? We hadn't talked about that yet this episode, and we were due to bring it up, so thank you. Yeah, just a reminder, courtesy of Max Boltman, the Detroit Red Wings GM is currently Steve Eisenman. So everyone just bask in <laughs> that for a moment. <laughs> now, as a as a little bit of a pessimist here... Julian Breezebaugh is not going to just hand out his favorite prospects or a guy that he knows Steve Eiseman values heavily for nothing or for free or just because he's familiar with Eiseman or they have a good relationship. You know, Breezebaugh didn't get to that point by by playing sucker. So, by no means would this be a, an easy deal. But if anyone can pull it off and if if you could be confident in it, it just kind of makes a ton of sense. So this one's actually a, a pretty cleanly tied one. I was kind of surprised to see you even get any
0: flack uh, for that one. Um, one that I think... I think a lot of it was just because of though, like, like, you know, I'm not going to say that I've watched a whole lot of Ryan Callahan, like, you know, the Ravens played him four times this year. He didn't really stand out in those games. So I could admittedly be, you know, thinking that age has, uh, has not been ha- as hard on him as maybe it, re- it really has. I'm just, but I'm thinking at a, at a core level, someone who is really responsible is going to, on, on a, on a wing opposite Zadina, is going to help him a lot. Like that is just my gut instinct, and I may be dead wrong about that. But I think it's it's a difference in um, in how much I think that would matter. So maybe that's why people don't don't think it makes sense. That's that's my guess.
2: Now you did also mention Colin Miller, which I I know he hasn't been on pretty much anyone's radar in terms of. Well, I, I guess if, unless you're a Vegas fan. Uh, but he's starting to pop up now. And you've been chatting about him for a while. And I know Elliot Friedman brought him up in 31 Thoughts. And Colin Miller's a really interesting defensive prospect. And, and until you asked me about it, Max, I hadn't really talked about him. So what what could he bring potentially to this Red Wings team? Well, sorry, I don't want to say well, prospect. Like, did, yeah.
0: Yeah, perspective ad, Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> it's interesting because, I, you know, my reputation – offensive defenseman um what you see when you kind of look into the numbers is i don't know whether whether it's just because sometimes an offensive defenseman suppresses shots by having the puck but that's that's valuable his reputation isn't necessarily as a shutdown guy um obviously vegas plays in the other conference so he doesn't cross over with detroit a whole ton but in, in kind of talking with with jesse granger his his thought was this is a guy who can produce points he's got a heavy shot. And the numbers say that maybe by virtue of having the puck also just kind of tends to be a net positive impact guy. I, I, in the article, I showed the evolving hockey, um, you know, regularized adjusted plus minus charts, and grades out as above average in four of the five categories they mentioned there, which are, you know, off, uh, offensive goals on the ice for expected goals, offensive course before, um defensive expected goals, and defensive course like. He graded out positively in most of those, and has graded out even better than that um, in the past. So to me, he's he's kind of an analytics darling. The analytics puts him in really high company. I don't know that I would feel comfortable, you know, just kind of placing him there. Mm-hmm. But it those are kind of the moves that when you're looking to make under the radar ads that pay dividends on the road, it's not a bad place to start.
1: So the one concern that I have with the analytics specifically. In regards to Colin Miller, is Vegas is one of the better defensively structured teams yeah. in the league. So, do you think that might play into his positive analytics more so than his individual performance?
0: Sure, certainly possible. I like that you know this is why this is why you make the decisions holistically. And I think you know when when people when people push back on analytics, that's one of the things that I think is, is a, is a kind of a common protest is like sometimes there are context reasons, but I think you use the numbers as a way to kind of spark a discussion about a guy. What do you think he can do or can be? And why do we think, what do you think these numbers are actually telling us? And if if, if that's the conclusion that you draw by looking at those, I think that's perfectly fair. Um, but I think, you know, the reason I brought him up is because he's available. The contract is fine. His age range fits into what Detroit's trying to do three years left. So if ultimately you're not sold on him, or the Red Wings aren't sold on him, then maybe they'll send it out. But what what struck me is the price wasn't really that high. Uh, they were talking about kind of a B you know a B prospect, a mid tier forward prospect, and uh, and or a peck. And I think when you're when you looking at who that means for the Red Wings, that's kind of the Jonathan Berger and Zdenek Scheck conversation. Berger maybe has too much upside still at this point to, to for, for him to be realistic but you got to get something to get something, and that, that's kind of who, who Jesse was suggesting. Um, I'm, I'm not, you know, the conclusion I kind of drew at the end of it was I'm not told that any of the trades, other than the Callahan one, are necessarily like, Revin should do this. But, this, it's you know, that's what it would kind of cost, and, and if, if ultimately they decide, like, like you're kind of saying, Brad, that there's something that better explains kind of why the analytics of Colin Miller, then that's fine, too. It's just something worth, worth looking at.
2: See, what surprised me was, um, in my head, I'm not as high on Evgeny Sveshnikov as maybe the average uh, person is, and so I know I might be undervaluing him a little bit, but in terms of considering future roster spots at wing and, and the Red Wings' ability to afford to to maybe give up on a guy or move a guy a little bit sooner than they would have liked, Evgeny Sveshnikov would be an excellent price for a defenseman who... You know, could probably play on this team's top pair, but in the future on a middle pair pretty consistently with maybe hit numbers or, or an underlying performance that isn't being fully appreciated. If Evgeny is the price, like by, by no means is that a knock to Evgeny Sveshnikov, but I'd pull the trigger on that right away. I'd be more hesitant to give up a guy on Jonathan Bergeron, who, you know, we didn't see a lot of because of his back injury, but he could still potentially pan out to be uh, a bona fide top six forward.
0: Yeah, do you have a
1: take on Svechnikov? I'm curious, because you, you have a lot, of, a lot of strong prospect opinions. So, my I'm still high on Svechnikov. It's, it's hard with the injury he had, because that's the type of injury that could change a player. Svechnikov's not the fastest player. He's skilled enough, but he excelled on the cycle. So, if his knee holds up fine, he's still going to be, in my mind, a valuable third-line winger, maybe second-line winger, Um even if it's third line, that's fine. Detroit needs the depth scoring. But, yeah, that knee, there's a whole lot of risk with an ACL injury, especially for the type of game he plays.
0: My opinion of Sashnikov, and I think I'd probably fall into the opposite end as Ryan, where I think Sashnikov not being this, like, you know, superstar, uh, dynamic scoring, whatever, is fine because of... He plays this brand that, like, I feel like if you put him on Vegas, he would be this, like, you know, 17-goal, 20-assist, but, like, come playoff time, he is his name all game long kind of thing. Like, not necessarily because he's dangling or doing all this other stuff, but just because that's the, that's the brand that it sometimes takes. And sometimes these big guys who can do a little bit of this, you know, skilled stuff, and, and certainly his junior numbers suggest he can do a lot of that skilled stuff. Um, i don't know i I just have this idea of such an icon in my head as someone who can who can really make an impact in, in that style, but I could be wrong, and he was injured this is my first year on the beat, so i haven't covered him for a full season i I could be dead wrong on that
2: now, in terms of valuation i think the the last trade that you covered had the most interesting variance in terms of how the different sides valued the trade, which was the potential for a Jacob truba deal um There were surprises there in terms of underlying numbers, especially for comparables uh, on Detroit. Uh, And there was also some surprises in terms of what maybe the uh, Winnipeg beat writer thought would be a fair trade or what some people in the comments thought, uh, and then compared to what maybe came from the Red Wings side of things.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is the hardest trade to discuss because – People have such varying opinions of Truba. People have such varying opinions of their own prospects. Of of people have varying opinions of what Winnipeg's situation is and how squeezed they're going to be. Like, I don't know. I the Truba debate can be kind of exhausting, and I'm sure you guys can agree. And so when it, when, <laughs> yeah. when, when when um. When Murat was kind of saying what he, he his the comparison he drew was McDonough, and McDonough was a first round pick, a conditional pick uh two prospects, and Masnikov for Mcdonough and Miller. My suggestion was cancel M- Miller and Masnikov out and look at you know what um what the what's remaining there and that's a first round pick, a conditional pick uh and two solid prospects and so I think McDonough' is better than Truba. So I kind of cut one of those two prospects off, which leaves you with a first-round pick, a second-round – or a conditional – I said conditional second-round pick if Truba extends, and a a good prospect, which is Gustav Lindstrom. Um, The first-round pick, Detroit's not giving up the sixth pick. Like, straight up, sixth pick for Truba, Detroit says no, right? So – but I think when you look at what the actual pick was in that Tampa-New York trade – it was a 28th pick, which, by pick value, is virtually identical to the 35th pick. I think it's like seven points in the Shuckers chart is, is the difference between mm-hmm. that pick. It's like like less than the difference between, um, like a second round pick and a seventh round pick or something. Like it's, Jeez. Microsc- I don't actually, I I don't know how to um, convey that. I might not. That description might not accurately. Um, Convey it. Very small. Look at the dark. They're virtually identical, you know. Um so that that was my suggestion. And what was fascinating was it seemed like about half the people thought Winnipeg says absolutely no, they would never do that, and half the people thought Radwing should never offer that. And so when you have that kind of variant reaction, it's it's kind of fascinating to, to see. That's how you know you're getting close. <laughs> I think so too, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, that's what exactly what you said to me, right? Like that's why you feel like you came on the mark because you had a lot. Of, like I, I for I told you I was like I. My initial thought was that that was a little bit steep for Detroit, especially considering, you know, the charts and and underlying stats that you pulled out on Truba. Maybe say that his perceived value is higher than his actual, considering the price it would cost to yep. get him. And I was like, I like Lindstrom. I think Detroit's done a lot of good things with their picks in the 35 to 60 range. And I'm not sure how I feel about giving up all those assets for maybe a guy who might be outperformed by Hironic in just a year or two. And then you have a bunch of other people saying, oh, God, no, that's not enough. And then you have the lunatics who are clamoring to give up the sixth pick. And then you're like, yeah, I think that's why it's probably fair and, and i think that's right if the, that trade's going to be made especially with how defensemen are are marketed or how they're valued on on the market today it's probably going to be a little bit more inflated than what actual analytical value would dictate but that's probably really close to it so i guess yeah. question for for you is if you're steve eisenman would you do that
0: It's a a complicated question. I don't know that I came to a conclusion. My first thought when I was writing the article was this is a low ball offer. And then I thought about it another way, which was, okay, so in that same kind of range of picks, if you just extrapolate them to what they've been for Detroit in the past, like you can basically say Detroit had two seconds in that range last year and they became Berger and McIsaac. Like if -hmm. you're Detroit, do you offer Berger McIsaac Lindstrom? I think you don't. And so then then I was like, oh, maybe this is a high offer. Um, But at the same time, so the thing you were saying about actual worth perceived value is you kind of have to accept that sometimes perceived value is market value. And I also happen to think that if the Red Wings offered that, someone else might even outbid them. Like when you think about even the position that the Rangers are in the Rangers could go back to them and say, we have your pick from the Kevin Hayes deal. Like we'll give you your pick back plus X and the Rangers are starting to get some really impressive rebuild chips together. I think the Rangers could outbid Detroit very easily. I think Philly could probably make a really competitive offer there. So you get into this place where the offer that kind of Murat and I settled on uh, as kind of like a reasonable comp for the McDonough trade, you know, everything else waited. Um, that I think, you know, at the very least it's a logical offer. I don't know if Detroit ultimately feels good about it or whatever, but you know, you don't always feel good about offering assets. Um, I think that offer still gets outbid. And so just because of the kind of perceived market value and what other teams can do. So, you know, again, that's kind of why I felt like the offer made sense. Uh, but I'm also like if I'm Detroit, I wouldn't be all the way comfortable uh, with some of the risk that you take on there. Cause you never know who could slide to that pick that you might really want. Um, and then you don't have, but at the same time, you know, you're getting a guy who, who, you yeah, know, you can argue whether he's a capital F first pair defenseman, but he's a guy who will play on a two can play on a top pair, like no question. Um, and that's worth something. Is it worth the contract that you're going to have to give him in a year is probably the bigger question than that ultimately is just way too long a conversation for (laughs) for us to have right now (laughs) for a phone interview yeah yeah
1: because the interesting thing with the truba trade value too is uh especially comparing to ryan mcdonough tampa had certainty with ryan mcdonough when they were trading for him it was a year and a half at whatever his cap hit is and that was definitive truba has so many variables right now are you is it a sign in trade is it just you're getting him for a year and then you're throwing caution to the wind is it and even if it is a sign and trade, how much is Jacob Trubo worth? Are you gonna pay him eight million dollars a year like he was asking? Like I would never do that, but that's what he was asking in Winnipeg. To me, that almost drives the value down because of all the uncertainty around it. And then you have to get into the debate of what is Jacob Trubo worth on a from a cap number perspective. It's I just don't right. see how Detroit can reasonably pull this off.
0: I I think I agree with that. And and I think another another reason that I think the the Truba offer ends up lower uh, by comparison. Is McDonough like there was no reason to believe it, that I can recall that McDonough was like looking to leave New York, right? Like the rumors are that Truba doesn't want to resign there. Like they have to do something with him. Um, so you know, I that's where maybe you go back to to Ryan's take, which is that this is a lot to pay for for a guy who who is going to probably move and who you know whatever. So. If you're talking about a guy like Lindstrom, here's the thing about it. Lindstrom already burned a year off his entry because he was a pro year in Sweden. Uh, burns another one next year, which may be spent uh, not primarily, if at all, in the NHL. So then when you're looking at his next negotiation, it's only going to be based off a of one NHL year. Even if that's a bridge deal, you're guaranteeing yourself um a pretty a pretty swallowable contract for a couple of years there on a guy who who could be a pretty sturdy defenseman. Like that's a it's it could be a really good contract. Like there's a lot of, of reasons that I think an, an offer like that for the Red Wings could be end up being a lot steeper than it might sound just off of what people think about a second round pick. You know, like it's Especially when you get into what Brad's talking about, about then figuring out, do you want to pay this guy $7 million for seven years or whatever? Um, ton of considerations, and ultimately the one that was destined to create the most controversy or whatever. See, and
2: the, the trouble that this brings up, like philosophically, and we talked about this when we had the, the roundtable with Prashant, was you have a, a, almost two schools of thought, which is, you know, if you have your shot, take it. The, the Armokek aligned and like, worry about the cost later. Like, if you have your shot, go for it because these opportunities don't always come up, you know, at the ideal moment. And then you have, you know, maybe a little bit of what Prashant laid out in his article. And I think this is kind of how I think inherently, which is that, you know, if you can really stack it up on your balance sheets and it's coming up in the red and it's not looking good for your team, despite how good of a player Trueba is, like, Detroit's not going to be worse with Truba, they'd absolutely be a better team but if you can't balance it, maybe you should just pass on the opportunity. But then I really, really have, have started coming around to the idea of if I, as a uh, hypothetical GM slash talking head that no one asked their opinion on, keep passing up on these potential guys, you know, Troop is going to go somewhere else. He's going to help someone else's team. And so is player X. And so is player Y. And so is Panarin. And so is Bobrovsky. And so are all these guys. And, you eventually have a, a team who's trying to rebuild the glory years where they got uh, Lidstrom and Zetterberg and Datsuk in the you know tenth and fifteenth and one hundred and seventh rounds, and that's just not realistic. So trying to apply all that to the to something like this Truba situation is so complicated. And you're right, it's way too in depth for maybe just one interview. It's something we have to come back to. So props to you for even <laughs> trying to tackle all that.
0: Let me add one more thing before we before we kill the topic then, which is that if if you're in a spot like kind of what you're I think what you're alluding to where you're like not even sure if like let's say Drupal was a free agent this off season instead of next off season. Mm -hmm. Are you signing him for what the unrestricted free agent cost is?
1: he's not his number's not going to be far off eric carlson honestly and if i had to pick between the two i'd rather take the 3 years older eric carlson you think truba will get that much not that much but i'm saying he so. on uf if he was a true ufa though he'd probably get 8 i think carlson gets 10 to 11 so he's not getting carlson money but he's not going to be far off i would do so, so then d- Go ahead, Ryan. I would do seven by eight because, and, and that's just
2: because you know there's a big TV deal, TV deal coming up. the The cap's subject to rise, so eight million dollars not won't look like it won't be as big of a cap percentage in the future. Sorry, I shouldn't You're say I would Yossi do it money, sure. You're paying him Yossi
0: money, then. You're paying him Yosi money.
2: Yeah, you know, as I said that
1: out loud, that's still eight million dollars, and I'm not entirely comfortable with that. And, but and again, it's not even the percentage of the cap hit that I'm upset with because or not that I'm going to say I'm upset with, I, I don't think it's entirely unreasonable for Truba, but it's not great. I just think if you're going to be spending that kind of money in free agency or in trade or whatever, you swing for the known superstar, which is
0: Carlson. And next summer... The, the point that I'm getting at with all of that, though, is just that if you have any doubt about whether you want to pay the UFA market value for it, then you can't make that trade. Like, you can't. Because, because if you make the, if you give up the assets to make that trade you have to sign him long-term oh, yeah. to justify giving up those assets. So if you have even a shred of doubt over over if you want to pay the UFA value, you don't make the trade. And I'm not saying that I think one way or the other about it, what they should or shouldn't do, but that like philosophically, unless you are committed to signing him at, you know, a number, let's say the floor is like seven, because that's what I kind of think the floor is probably seven. Um, and Brad might be right that it might be more. Like, but like, to me, eight is what I see Yossi going for when he's a free agent, and if and they're going to be free agents the same summer. So, if their contracts are matching, who would you rather have, even though Yossi's a little older? Yeah, know. Robin Yossi for sure. I don't know. That's just kind of how I how I think the whole conversation comes together. I don't, you know It's kind of the beautiful thing is I don't really have to. I don't really have to have an opinion about it. But uh, <laughs> that's how I think the conversation
2: comes together. Well, I'm sure we'll have plenty of opportunity to come back to it. Now, we were uh, we were chatting last night, the three of us, about uh, the, the the missed call in St. Louis and San Jose, where for those of you who have been living under a rock, San Jose scored the overtime winning goal uh, off of a blatant hand pass. Now, uh, I've seen some. People trying to bring up different interpretations of the rules to try and say no, it didn't no, it was a hand pass. It doesn't matter if it deflected off the defender's stick. It was a hand pass. The goal should not have counted. That's that's set in stone. Now, this of course has brought up the debate of should we review this? Should this be a reviewable play? How does the NHL address this, and how does this fit into the bigger scheme of? Everything that's been going on—the issues with offside reviews, the issues with goalie interference reviews, the the timing thing—you know, the puck off the netting should that be reviewable as well? The slippery slope. So, uh, Max, you kick us off. Um, what's your take on this in, in terms of should this have been a reviewable play, and how would how do you think the NHL should adapt if at all?
0: My first reaction watching last night was that it was an egregious error that sucks for St. Louis, but if it ends in like being a precedent setting play, like that could just lead to even more confusion because what sometimes can happen is like we get riled up as viewers and, you know, people who just like to have opinions or whatever, and we see an obviously wrong call and then we change a rule and then Not every play is obviously wrong, but we're reviewing them because we're trying to get them right. And that's a noble interest, but you know, I was a staunch supporter of replay and it been in every single sport uh, ever as a, just a get it right thing. And I, one thing that in the moment last night I was thinking was we probably get more right, but what it ends up doing is making it even more infuriating when we go to replay and we still don't, feel like we got closure as as viewers on um, like hey that you know justice happened or the right call was made. Cause I don't think we do always feel that closure even when plays are reviewed. Um you know you, even if you if you just go back a, a couple of like a week like the Landeskog offside play I think a lot of people watching that felt like the right call was not made even after review. So my my kind of first impulse is if that's what's going to happen and no one's going to feel any better on the whole about, um, about, about these calls, even after replay, then why, why do them? But, uh, after reading a little bit today in our, our athletic round table that I was not, um, I didn't like write a blurb for, but I read and thought was really interesting. I think I kind of end up coming down where Dom, uh, Luke, I know, I'm butcher butcher's last name, Dom Luchichin, um, he he, kind of just suggested challenges, and everything is challengeable, but there's a time limit, and if you don't, then the Call, on the, call on the Ice stands. And he didn't put this in the article, but I think when he first tweeted it last night, he, he put a number of challenges, I think he said two. And to me that makes sense, In, in it, as long as if you get the challenge right, you keep it. So you get two challenges per game, and once you've used them, they're gone, but as long as you're getting them right, then you get to keep them, and... I would add on to that no other challenges, no other reviews, so at most you're you're gonna review you could you might review a bunch of plays, but you're only gonna keep reviewing them if the people if the coaches keep getting them right and to me, that puts a kind of a soft cap on the number of reviews. it puts incentive for coaches to not challenge everything um and I think. Maybe that's the best way to do. It. Everything's on the table from the penalties, a la uh, the um, Vegas San Jose series in round one, to the Landeskog offside, to the hand pass last night. Yeah, all three of San Jose plays that's weird. Um, the <laughs> everything's on the table, uh, and then that, and then you you feel like you get justice without it being in every single play thing. So I've softened is is a long way of saying that, but I'm still kind of feeling like. Replay as an experiment has left a lot of people more frustrated than it was supposed to.
2: So I want to start off by by first like acknowledging that what you like I I know what you're saying is right about the replay system is frustrating people, and so I'm going to have a point about defeatism, and I don't want that to be attacked because I agree that it's frustrating that we're not getting it right. Listeners who've listened to previous episodes, I, I think it was actually just the last one where I pretty much you know blew my gasket about. This is the right path, but the NHL is not giving itself a chance to succeed. I think it's that's partially to play here, but I still want to put a pin in that as well. The first and biggest thing that I want to talk about is that I genuinely wholeheartedly believe that we are seeing the poorest consistent performance of officiating this sport has seen under this big of a microscope in a long time. These are some pretty easy calls for the referees to get right that they are just flat out missing. I, I don't know what has changed. I don't know if it's just a, bad, a streak of bad luck or the fact that maybe we're all focusing on it with a laser focus that we haven't had before because of the criticism around the review system. But genuinely, that hand pass was not hard to call. And this is coming from someone who was a referee. Not an NHL referee, of course not. Like that, I'm not saying I'm qualified to be an NHL referee, but I, I have a predisposition to maybe not criticize them as much as, as an average fan would right away. But I, I really feel like things are, are just, there's, a, there's a, a loss in performance and there's a, a, a lower standard being deployed here. Where if we miss that, we, have, we run the risk of doing what Max just mentioned, which is being far too reactionary and setting a precedent on something that maybe shouldn't be the flag holder for a rule change. Am I saying that that call should stand? No, but that was awful. It was really bad, and I wish there was a way for it to change. But I I just keep coming back to, should we improve the processes and the systems to support those processes? I'm talking about technology. I'm talking about the cameras and the boards. I'm talking about maybe an eye in the sky system, kind of like VAR with with what soccer has or or similar systems where the referees in an earpiece can get a quick five seconds later saying, hey, by the way, that was a hand pass. Call that dead right now. I I think that's better than, than creating a whole more convoluted system that we're not ready to support. I understand that, that that I'm operating a huge gray area that just lashed out to both sides of the argument, but I don't I don't see the value in saying we should give up reviews completely or reduce the opportunity for you know uh, an eye in the sky to say that hey this was a, a complete violation of the rules that goals shouldn't and I don't think we should go too far into reviewing absolutely everything because at some point it will genuinely slow the the game down. It's a mess of thought, but I. All in all, I think we, we're being too distracted and too reactionary, like you mentioned, Max. I think the NHL needs to focus on the process and the system behind it, and then only then can they actually set themselves up to succeed.
1: So here, here's the problem. People tend to forget that before goaltender interference and offside reviews were reviewable, we were all clamoring for them we wanted to get it right and it's just created more confusion getting back to max's point the game of hockey is fast random full of mistakes by players coaches and even referees uh every once in a while and these playoffs a lot more it's the flow of the game and we're never gonna get it right if you go back through the last two seasons and you look at every goaltender interference review how many of them were definitive? After the review, there was 50% of the people who were angry and 50% of the people who thought they got it right. Offside reviews, everybody universally hated because if a guy's blade is half an inch off the ice over top of the blue line, did he really impact the play at all? No, not really. Matt Duchesne went four feet offside of uh, six years ago once and now we have to suffer through how many dozens of these reviews a game. I... I don't like seeing a game like last night decided in overtime because of a bad call. But this is the Duchesne incident all over again. It's an outlier. Can anybody remember another time where a game of this magnitude was decided by a hand pass? It doesn't happen. And if we're looking at hand passes too, where does the statute of limitations go on this? If Timo Meyer had given a a hand pass to... Gus Nyquist, 45 seconds before that puck goes in, is that reviewable? If it's uh, if a puck goes into the netting and bounces onto the back onto the ice, two minutes before start of a power play when they score the end of the power play, does that come back? I just I can't get past the fact that it's a fast random sport. And we just have to accept that. Now, here's the one thing where I am on the side of the people who are pro-review. One of the biggest issues last night was people yelling, well, if we're already re- reviewing goaltender interference and offside, why don't we review this? Which I agree with that point. It's silly that we're selection that, – that we select what is and isn't reviewable. But again, it's we review everything and that's going to come up with problems or we review nothing and that's going to yield problems – for me, I know I've made this point on the podcast. What it comes down to again is hockey's a fluky random sport. referees are part of that. Keep the flow and keep the entertainment up. I don't want to spend every other game praying that I don't have to sit through five minutes of reviews because everybody was acting like it was a black and white call. There were camera angles that made it look like it went off Jay bow shin. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it was it should have been called. But that's the type of stuff. That review would not have been 20 seconds. They would have looked at that rev- those two angles that showed it kind of deflecting off Bo Meister for 10 minutes trying to figure out if it hit it or not, if it should count, if it shouldn't. It's just... The NHL
0: can't get... So Brad, it sounds way. like you like Dom's plan too then. Like you like the... Everything's on the table to be reviewed, but you get a... A cap in number of reviews, or at least a soft cap, and certainly a time cap on the reviews. I don't hate the idea, but I'm going to modify it. I
1: wouldn't go two reviews, I would keep it with one, because even with just offside reviews and goalie interference reviews, those were the only reviewable things this year. We had how many reviews this year? And that was only with one per coach. Where I think I've come down on this is kind of similar to what the NFL has. Last two minutes of the game and overtime. Everything's reviewed. Before that, nothing's reviewed or you get one challenge. Like, I don't want to go overboard with this. I would still would vote just to ban the offside reviews entirely, but I digress. That'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you want it, because again, this one decided a game and that's, I think, what left most people salty. So if we want to waste all... All the time we want in overtime or the last two minutes of a game getting this right, I'm all for it because that is super impactful, so I get it. They would have to, again, clarify the rules because a hand pass directly that leads to a goal or a hand pass 20 seconds before leading lead a goal. Can you review both of those? I would say no, but I I get it. I want to get it right, but I also... We've been down this path, and when we... All-wanted goal interference and offside reviews, nobody saw it playing out like it has. The one point, too, just the last little point I'll make here and, and let you guys talk again because I've been kind of filibustering here, <laughs> is the one thing that doesn't get talked about is the play being blown dead way more often than before because now the refs are scared to get it wrong. How many times yes. do we see a borderline offside that's probably onside being whistled down because it was close and the ref doesn't want to be embarrassed? The same thing would happen with a hand pass. Anytime a puck even looked like it touched the guy's gloves, the ref will blow it because they don't want to be wrong, so they make the safe call. And I don't want to see the fastest game in the world slow down even more than it already has been.
0: I am going to push back on the last two minutes of the game thing, because I think it creates another, like, where do you draw the line prop? Like, are you telling me that a goal with six minutes left? Can't be the game deciding goal. Like, I know you still have time, but it, not as much as it seems like, and it can be tough to come back, especially when there's like a controversial element there. Like to me, the last two minutes as a cutoff, I think overemphasizes the importance of like the last two minutes relative to the rest of the game. Like to me, the whole game, any single goal at any single moment can decide the game, uh, functionally, or or be or have that level of impact or that level of like, this costs them the game. I got the penalty in the Vegas San Jose game happened with like, I don't even know how much time left, but you know it didn't decide. They still had time, and they did not in, in fact go and tie it up. But like, if you review, if if that plays like not one of the ones that's on the table. I mean, maybe you're saying that's the challenge play or whatever, but like, I think that's to me, that is a stronger element for having decided the game as even the thing last night, even though it literally happened on the last play on the game winning goal. Like you're talking about a three goal lead that vanished four-goal lead that vanished. Like I, or three goal lead that vanished. I, I don't know. I, so I just think I would push back on the time element there for that reason. And I don't know. I, I'm with you guys that like, I was with review to begin with, I want people to I want them to get these calls right but I also I I think one of like the most fun and maybe this is just my cold dead journalist heart talking but I kind of think it's hilarious when someone gets away with something that they really shouldn't have like <laughs> kind of enjoy that <laughs> so I don't know you know I like
2: I understand and to a degree agree with like that kind of point or the point of like stuff like this is always going to happen but I I think it's easy to get to to lose the forest through the trees here, or or have a hard time seeing the forest through the trees, which is that we should always be trying to improve the game. And it's not going to always be so overt or these huge leaps, but incrementally we're we're trying to do that as, you know, fans or as people who are involved in hockey or or journalists. So, yeah, it's hysterical. But at the same time, if we have an opportunity to make it better, why not? One thing that I have personally saw... Is it better?
0: Is it better, though? Is that, like, it's more more accurate but is that better i mean yeah right like
2: it might be more entertaining it might be easier it might honestly you'll get way more clicks on something like this absolutely you know when we have something to scream about on the podcast people are of course they're going to tune in but if we're talking about the integrity of the game and you know the spirit of the game which is an argument that comes up a lot uh i would rather not see something that bad if we're talking like you know, a cheap shot or a slash here and there, or just like the, the little gamesmanship, like the Red Wings stealing the car. I'm not even
0: talking about cheap shotting because I think that's bad, but like a little hand pass. Like when you guys played, you didn't love getting away with a little like illegal, oh, yeah, like, offensive Absolutely.
1: hand pass thing. It's, it's gamesmanship. I because I'm in the camp, if I had my way and I'm the con- commissioner of the NHL tomorrow, I, I'm abolishing reviews entirely unless. The only review I have is, did the puck cross the goal line? Everything else is on the table. Because, again, I treat the refs like an obstacle in the game. If you ring a puck around the boards trying to clear the zone and it hits a ref's skate, goes into the slot, and the player puts it in, that counts. That's a good goal. I And, again, if you look at history, how many non-calls in playoff history can we remember where there wasn't a review involved that that directly led to something bad being happened. So we had last night, uh, Timo Meyers' hand pass, and the last one I can remember before that, we're going all the way back to 1993 and Wayne Gretzky's missed high sticking on Doug Gilmore. If we're looking at almost 26 years between egregious non-calls that decided games, I don't think that's reason enough to overhaul how we ref or review this game, honestly.
0: I also think to Ryan's earlier point about like, is refereeing worse? I think the answer to that is no. And the reason that the answer is no is because like, we just forget, like, you know, some memorable ones stay forever, but we forget all of like the little calls that like along the way, like, you know, with, with the San Jose run, for example, if they win the cup, people are going to remember the Timo Meyer hand pass. They will not remember the missed call on the Landis offside. side. That, that's a promise in five years um, because we, we boil things down to like one or two memories. And so I think officiating is more or less either the same or even better. And we just always forget as time blends because we're, we're more mad about what just happened than then we have, like, the memory space to go back 10 years. You know what I mean? That, that's fair,
2: and you're right. I probably have to swallow a little bit of my own medicine there, which is that that's probably a little bit too reactionary. Um, the opportunity to even improve... Say you had you the opportunity to improve the, the the way the game is officiated without any review time. You're not adding any functional time more than just a few seconds that would other, otherwise happen during, you know, between whistles regardless to improve officiating or improve the technology to conduct reviews or to offer better, more accurate officiating in the game. Would you take that or do you take more of the what you mentioned where it's kind of more fun and how it is right now introduces a certain level of gamesmanship that you don't want to get rid of?
0: I, I think I'm going to go back to Dom's point because I think it, it's the best of all worlds. It limits – it adds a strategy element, how and when to use your challenge, even if you want to bring it down to one, like Brad said. But you get one, and as long as you keep getting it right, you keep getting it. But if you get one wrong, you don't no longer have a challenge, and then the other team knows you don't have a challenge, and they're going to angle their stick with their, you know, blade and try to kick a puck into the net, even when they don't really have a good shot at whacking it, or they're going to make a hand pass, and you can't review it because you burned your challenge on a goaltender interference in the first period. Like, I would love that. Like, to me, that's all the right, like – blends of controversy. There's pseudo justice because the coach shouldn't use his challenge on a play. Like he's got the little screen in the box or in, in the bench and he should have known or not. Like to me, it's the best of all worlds. Human error will never be out of hockey and you definitely don't want to get to a point where you're reviewing like hits for every single thing, like in the college frozen four lately. Um, you'll never get it all the way out. And so just embrace it and you, you can still have the spirit of getting things right. But I think making putting it in the coach's hands as a legit skill of when and what to review is the best way to deal with it. That's just my – I've kind of decided.
1: <laughs> All right, Max, you kind of convinced me in one way, so I'm going to throw another proposal at you. Because what we're trying to eliminate here is the egregious bad calls like last night. We don't care about the 50-50 goalie interference and we don't care about the half an inch off the ice off sides, right? So let let's take it a step further. Coach gets two challenges a game and he can challenge whatever he wants if it directly impacts a goal or if it's a major penalty, whatever. Okay. Well,
0: yeah, or well, if he thinks it should have been a penalty. Like if you wanna if you wanna go back to the ice and the refs were behind the play and someone took a whack at someone's head, like and you think you can get a two out of that, do that,
1: right? Like why not? So here's here's my proposal. It's the exact same thing as what you're proposing, except instead of losing a timeout if you get it. You're getting a two-minute penalty. Penalty. So you damn well better be certain. So if it's a 50-50 call, they are not going to challenge it because whatever. But if it's egregious, they know they'll get it. They'll throw in the review and we'll get the call right. But if it's even close to being wrong, they won't take it because they know they'll get burned.
2: I'm all for that. I love it. You know what? We can and will talk about this ad nauseum. We have to make a pact right now is that the next time something – Hugely contentious, like this happens, all three of us immediately get in our cars, drive to a central location with the recording equipment I'll bring a po- a bottle the of whiskey blighted house. yeah <laughs> and we will just we will not leave until we are done. <laughs> I keep coming back to putting the proverbial gun to your head, oh <laughs> the tweets on this one are going to be
1: bad <laughs>
2: <coughs> Someone's getting radioed
1: on the podcast, and it's not me for once.
2: Yeah, well. Uh, Max, thank you so much. Uh, we'll have plenty to chat about soon. We didn't even do draft talk on the air this time. So maybe the next time we can, we can dive back into that. Uh, everyone, Max Boltman on the athletic, go read his stuff right now. Max, thank you again. Thanks so much guys. And welcome back. You're going to hear Brad giggling in the background (laughs) because how we do this is we record our interviews (laughs) outside of the episode and so when i say enjoy the interview we pretty much just pause for about 10 to 15 seconds and from an audio editing perspective it's great if it's just dead silence and i know this and brad without fail every time i call for silence <laughs> makes a fart noise somebody send me help i don't enjoy doing this this isn't my friend This doesn't bring me any
1: happiness.
2: (laughs) There's no tangible positivity being instilled in my life. Anyways, uh, uh, a lengthy chat with Max and probably one that won't. like, Like I said... The only way to do this from now on is to just sit in a room, lock a door, bottle of whiskey and just hammer it out. Um, lots of great takes that we we can dive into over and over again. And I'm sure we will, but for now we are going to jump into this week's uh, or this episode's draft profile. So NHL- well, before
1: we do that, we got to update the playoffs quickly because Boston is like three minutes away from advancing to the literally three minutes away from advancing to the finals. Like we all knew was going to happen, which fun fact Did you know that the Carolina Hurricanes now are going to be the first team to get swept in a playoff series right after sweeping a playoff series since the 2019 New York Islanders?
2: (laughs) I was going to say, let me wrap my brain around this for a second, but I feel like there's a thing here. Okay, so now the only option here is if the hockey gods truly care about chaos and our happiness.
1: Boston's getting
2: swept. Boston's getting swept in the finals. We did it. We did it. We got him. Pete Blackburn, we're sorry, but it's got to happen this time. Oh,
1: week. Christ. We're going to have to have Pete on now, aren't yeah, we? And he's we'll, just going to rub it in. Yeah.
2: I think when we had Pete on last, we made an agreement where he would come and rub it in if if the Bruins won the cup. And we have to make good on that. I
1: feel like we should call him before the finals happen, just, just in case. Yeah. We'll, we'll give him a ring. <laughs> Maybe we could do like a pre and post with him. Just to see. How Hi, Pete. Can you tell us what happiness feels like? To be fair, though, good on Boston for getting this far. It's sure. been like four months since they've had a championship. I they hate, were due. I hate that joke. Not because everyone makes it, but because of how true it rings. Fine. fine. The Patriots don't count. It's been like seven <laughs> months. <gasps> Why? At least the Celtics got knocked, you know? Yeah. Screw the
2: Celtics. Well, who won the uh, there's draft lottery uh, chaos in the NBA because the Pelicans won and the like the NBA is so funny because the media is so much more overtly favorable towards big markets. Yep.
1: So they were like mad that the, the media was mad. The Knicks didn't win. Listen, New Orleans, we're happy for you. I we're, I'm pro Pelican.
2: I'm pro Pelican. I, I think they should have traded an Anthony Davis. But. Based on the offers that they were getting, but I digress.
1: Hey, they this this might throw a wrench into things. I don't know. And let's not forget, though, most importantly, I'm anti James Dolan.
2: Mm, yeah, fair as uh, as most of the Knicks fans are, actually, as well. So yeah, um, the the Eugene Melnick of the NBA, if you would. Oh, I think Melnick's worse. I think Melnick's of worse. of the NBA. Uh, back to hockey. This uh, this episode's draft profile is uh, an interesting prospect that I'm. Not teetering back and forth on, but maybe one that we're a little bit too low on, admittedly, which is uh, Dylan Cousins. So uh, Dylan Cousins is one of the top-ranked centers in this draft. He is um, not high on our boards, but definitely liable to be taken in the top...
1: He's high. He's He's in our top 10. That's high.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's fair. Um, If you're talking about priority on who the Red Wings should take at 6, definitely not
1: on our list, for sure. But let's talk about what Dylan Cousins brings as a prospect. (laughs) So Dylan Cousins is, you know, in baseball how you hear that that five tool prospect mm-hmm. thrown around. He's he's the hockey equivalent. He's big, real big. He's six three and a quarter. He's fast, real fast. He's got a bullet of a shot. He's got decent hands, pretty good hands. I'd even say above average. And he's not a train wreck defensively. He's a five tool prospect. The concern for me with Dylan Cousins is is very similar to that of Pod Colson. All the tools are there, but how is the computer system and the engine that is that is controlling them? Now I know I beat this term to death and I'm sure you guys are sick of me saying it, but the hockey IQ there isn't bad. But it's not elite. And I also feel like I'm using a blasphemy term by using elite to describe things all the time. But I feel like that's a term Red Wings fans can relate to now.
2: So here's the thing. If Detroit drafts Cousins, I'm not. Depending on the circumstances, like I'm not upset. Detroit's making away with a, a pick in my mind who is almost certain to translate it if he pans out, barring anything terrible like happening with his development. He'll be a center he won't be moved to the wing like a lot of other guys might be I'm pretty confident
1: in that and I'll I'll go a step further and say I'm pretty confident Dylan Cousins is going to be an NHLer almost no matter what because of his skill set he can play up and down the lineup yeah and I,
2: I think a big thing that people get hung up on is the fact that he's more of a scoring center than a playmaking center which is kind of counter to what Detroit wants but I caution against that because, you know, in five years, if Dylan Cousins turns out to be a phenom and he scores 40 goals a year and, you know, is an 80, 85, 90-point guy, the first-line center and a selkie candidate, we're not concerned about how he fit in onto the 2019-2020 Detroit Red Wings, right? So definitely look at need and definitely try to find value there, but don't be married to it. However, I would say that if cousins or that player that you're pay, that picking against need is the best player on the board in my mind where cousins stacks up against guys who are phenomenal in other aspects like Zegras is in, in playmaking. I almost still prefer that guy who, who blows past what the metrics can handle in that, in that one specific asset that's yeah, usually beneficial.
1: What makes the player elite? Dylan cousins is the Jack of all trades master of none if it's a little over exaggeration but that's pretty much what he is he does a simplification for sure but he, d- yeah. he doesn't have that one skill set that is that is truly elite now you now i would argue actually for how fast he is for his size that might actually qualify but i digress because again if you're looking at the top 10 do you want a playmaker okay well you got hughes you got Ziegris, you got krebs do you want a goal scorer okay well you got boldy you got Caulfield. You got a couple other guys. You don't look at Cousins and go, he's he's that guy from any end of it. And again, that's fine. It's it's admirable how well rounded his game is. But again, if you're to me, it comes down to if you're picking in the top ten, you're picking for elite. You're not you're not taking the safe pick. Because again, I will say, out of everybody in the top ten outside of Houston, Kako, if you want to go by that old adage, air quotation, safe pick. Cousins is that guy because his skill set is going to allow him to play in the NHL in any position in any role you want. You need him to be a penalty killer and play on the third line? You got it. You need him to play on your to be the trigger man or the bumper guy on the power play? You got it. You need him to be a, top line, a second line two-way center? He can do that. He can fill in. It's just... Is he going to be a ninety-point guy or a sixty-point guy? I think he's going to fall closer to the fifty to sixty-point guy, but still be a useful player. So it just comes down to drafting philosophy to me here, and I, I like taking the swing. So I really, because I know over the last few months, like we we've been talking up Zgris and a couple other guys over Cousins and Doc, etc. That is not at all to say I think Cousins is a bad player. I think Cousins is a fantastic player and going to be a great NHLer but I don't think he's going to be an elite NHLer. I don't think he's going to have that one element of the game that just blows you away.
2: Now, here's the part that I, when I mentioned I was back and forth on, is like you mentioned, Cousins kind of does a lot of things good to great. His skating and his shooting, like his ability to score as a centerman, those are fantastic qualities that he possesses. Uh, Another thing, and I'm going to be a Mike Babcock here, he plays the true power forward is disappearing in today's NHL. And that's not a good or bad thing. It's just the reality of the way the game's shifting, but he plays, he uses his size and he plays as a power forward, as it would adapt into today's professional hockey game. He's not afraid to get into the dirty areas. He's not afraid to move the puck to the net, but he does it with a certain amount of skill. Like this isn't Luke Lendening or Darren Helm just barreling into the slot. Like he, he combines it with his ability to to put the puck in the net or uh, dish the puck to teammates when he does display that. So to me, that's a huge asset. Again, you run into the, like you're, you're playing for Lethbridge in the WHL and you're six foot three, you know, however much you weigh, you're going to be able to do that a lot more in junior than you would in, in the professional game for sure. But if that, if he can translate that there's not a lot of guys who can do that effectively. I don't want to get too buried in can this player or this player or this player be elite because the reality is there might not be an elite player left at 6. Yeah, and more often than not
1: there, there isn't. isn't.
2: So if Detroit does go with a guy like Cousins who does all of these things right and what's the biggest knock against him? Like his reads maybe aren't
1: entirely too, like too quick sometimes or he he overcommits to the physical game like those and, and much like Buck Colson, he doesn't play well off his teammates. Okay, sorry, I'm not gonna say he doesn't play well. He he absolutely can play with his teammates, but not at that level of a top ten pick. He he's his vision not as well as
2: Ziegris or not as
1: well as Zegris, not as well as Caulfield, not as well as at least ten other guys in this draft. That's that's my biggest issue with him because it comes down to hockey IQ. How well does he read his play? How well does he play off his teammates? And does he make the guys around him better? He makes the game around for the players around him easier because he's doing so much of the heavy lifting, but he's not necessarily always putting them in a position to succeed with the decisions he makes. If that makes sense, because that's kind of an argument against itself, but you understand what I'm saying.
2: My, my summary argument for Dylan cousins is of all the knocks that we try to find on these guys. And you know, we get in the weeds on it and things get amplified. And at the, we might spend five minutes talking about something that affects 10% of our overall evaluation. Dylan Cousins it qualifies as one of those guys where, in my mind, the knocks against him are way weaker than than the, down, the downfalls or the pitfalls of other prospects. He's not... I, I'm much more... Like Brad mentioned, you swing for the fences. You find elite talent, and you hopefully tra- hope that translates into a complete NHL player, a complete elite player. Like you hope that Zegers turns into an elite playmaker, or you hope that Turcotte turns into you know that elite two way center. Um, you're thinking of what Scott Wheeler said about not pigeonholing people at two way center. Um, but even though he's not atop top those guys, he's not ahead of those guys on our lists. You also have to consider. The kind of player he is is very attractive to scouting groups. It's very, very attractive to scouting groups, and it very, it very much depends on the mindset of the general manager, which we know Eisenman prefers talent, but we don't know always what kind of talent he prefers. If you know Byram and Turcotte are gone, we, as Red Wings fans, have to expect that Dot or Cousins is a very real candidate to be taken at six, as he should be. He should be for sure. Yeah, even if he's not the favorite even if the talking heads like us aren't saying like he he should be taken ahead of Segris or even Pod Colson or whatever,
1: this is a very, very attractive player to to old school and new school hockey thinkers. Yeah. Because the thing for me, my knock against Cousins, again, he's the five tool player. He, he's got everything you want in a player just about, but it comes down to, you can teach Zegris to play the cycle well, like Cousins does. But you can't teach Cousins, Zegers' vision, or Caulfield's nose for the net. Absolutely. That's just the stuff that that's just universal, gifted talent that can't be taught. And this is why I keep bringing up
2: Cole Caulfield. Because that kind of scoring touch can't be taught.
1: It literally cannot be.
2: That's still in Cousins. Eh. I know that was like a lot of everything, but that's kind of who he is as a prospect, right?
1: Yeah. Dylan Cousins is who he is. He's going to play in the NHL. He's going to do well. Any team that drafts him is going to be happy because he's going to give them what they expect. It's just uh, your drafting philosophy is what comes down to.
2: Uh, we're going to do comparables. That thing that we keep saying we
1: hate, but we keep I keep bringing up. I've oh. seen
2: Ryan Kessler thrown around a lot.
1: No, I I think that's – not that Kessler is a great player in his prime, but I think that's selling Cousins a little short, honestly. If I look at – if everything goes right for Cousins, man, this is a tough one because there's not a lot of big dudes who skate like him, honestly. Well, and
2: that's why comparables suck.
1: (laughs) This is a really great example of why Comparables suck, because I'm... Like, best version of Cousins would be... If everything goes right, Johnny Taze. Oh, and that's like... And and Cousins is bigger,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Comparables suck. I need to stop writing these up. They're bad. It's just bad analysis. A better skating Landeskog? Yeah, well... And this is assuming 100% efficiency in his development. He pans out completely and surprises people. Like, you can't... That's not on the normal part of the curve. Yeah, it's it's tough. We'll, uh, we'll come back with rankings, obviously, as we approach the draft. But Cousins is there. I don't think for us right now, and, and Evan in spirit, is the top-ranked center. Uh, I know Max isn't... Um, he has a couple of guys ahead of Cousins in terms of who he... he Maybe not ahead, but who he thinks like are are more complete players. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of varying takes on cousins, and I can't tell if that scares me or not. It's, Scott Scott Wheeler was sold on him. Scott had him fourth. Yeah, he he thought that
1: his skill level meant that he would translate into the game like very very well. So. I have I haven't settled on my final ranking for him yet, but I I think it's going to be somewhere between seven and ten.
2: I don't have him ahead of Zegers for sure.
1: Yeah, this isn't going to be cuz now all of a sudden I like I'm having the Cousins versus Pod Coulson debate. Similar players, but what do you value more, right? So, uh All right, let's talk about another
2: player who's um kind of polarizing. This is for our Red Wings player profile. Uh relevant of late. Yeah, season in review and all of a sudden topic de jour. Yeah, Anthony Mantha is tearing it up for Team Canada at the uh, World Championships. Yeah, he's got what nine points in and- four games a couple multi- goal games I believe it including is including today yeah has been absolutely phenomenal has been playing to his strengths you posted something and I'm happy you did about having him on the half boards or just setting him on that
1: like right side on uh, the power play yeah which Detroit did uh late in this season so they finally got around to it so when he when Anthony Mantha
2: is on, and he's on the right part of his his sine wave or whatever you want to call it, streakiness, it looks like a guy who can put up 40 goals. There's a lot of very smart people who see him and his skill set and say he should be a 40-goal scorer, and don't be surprised to see it in the future. I genuinely believe that Anthony Mantha can and will be at some point a 40-goal scorer. Um, what he has done for the Red Wings... There have been times where his la- level of effort or the fact that he's coming back from injury or his playing hurt has severely hampered his play. And those might seem like nothings, but the problem is it's happening so often, either with breaking his hand in a fight or you know playing really lethargically when he doesn't have that passion in the middle of the season, that it does genuinely bring up questions on whether this guy can be a part of the Red Wings' future. And then you see that tear that he goes on at the end of the season. And you see these performances in the world championships and you're like 15 points in his final eight games. This guy has the tools. And to me, he just screams someone where like, I think Detroit is really going to be rewarded for sticking to it with him and putting him on a team with a lot more tools to play with a lot more, you know, better players to feed him the puck, set him up for success, put him in better positions. Just don't break up
1: the line with him, Larkin and
2: Bertuzzi. Just don't leave him forever. He he has all he, no, he's not a great two-way player. He needs to cut the crap out where he gives up on plays he's, or, he's the king of the flyby. Oh, absolutely. Which isn't a great quality, but no people who make the co- comparisons to you and Franzen where they're like he's extremely streaky. You're right. The problem is with Franz and I, I think Franzen was streaky the way any pure goal scorer was streaky, because if you're a goal scorer, those goals aren't always gonna be coming. That's just the reality of hockey. And if that's all you have, you're gonna look you know, invisible on the ice. With Mantha, I think he holds himself back a lot. I think he can really do a lot more to
1: control when and how he he he, you know, produces on the ice. I've said this before on the podcast, and I'll repeat it again. From a tool standpoint, he is the most skilled player on the Detroit Red Wings. Larkin's got a bit better hockey IQ, which is why he puts it together more. But Mantha is for a dude his size can skate really well when he chooses to. He's got uh, arguably the best shot on the team right now. I think he does. Especially, maybe once not once Zadina gets here, but from him on the right half wall as a left-handed shot, he's got a bomb. His first goal in the World Championships of the game today was literally just him camped out in the Ovi spot on the opposite side of the yeah, ice exactly. and just wired one under the bar. He's got great hands and he's strong as an ox. Like for his lack of effort... Perceived air quotations. He does not lose a lot of puck battles on the wall. Like he's a strong human being. Everything is there for him to succeed. It's just he has to be put in the right situation. He's not a guy who can thrive in every role. He's a right winger on a scoring line with a centerman who can get him the puck He's never, never going to kill a penalty for you, but he can absolutely be the trigger man on a power play. Not, he can be a net front guy, but he absolutely should not be a net front guy. That's not his skill set. So I hate the obsession with making big
2: guy net front. Like, Thomas Holmstrom's gone. We need to let it go. Yeah. Unless someone actually has that skill set, do not dedicate them there. Hi, Michael Rasmussen. Yeah. The, yes. And that actually was beneficial.
1: Yeah. So... It's, the Red Wings should be spoiled on the power play this year, having Mantha on one power play unit and Zadina on the other, where they can just sit there and clap bombs. And then also have Philip Hironik and Mike Green as the two defensemen who are right-handed shots who could also fill that role. So now you have the threat from both sides of the ice. They have a unique opportunity here that they need to capitalize on. And don't get me wrong. For everything I say about Mantha not being put in proper positions to succeed through his uh, career as a Red Wing thus far, the onus is on him to get going still. Oh, do not get me wrong. Um, so much more can be done by him. But I again, I'm in the camp. Now, here's the thing. We're calling him streaky we're calling him inconsistent. He put up a career high with 25 goals this year in 67 games. He only played 67 and set a career high in goals. It's a 30-goal pace. That's a 30-goal pace. So he was right there with Athanasiou and Larkin from a goal-scoring standpoint. And from a points-per-game standpoint, he was second on the team behind Dylan Larkin. Mantha has... The tools to be a star, a legitimate seventy to eighty point, thirty five to forty goal player in this league, and quite frankly, if he doesn't reach that any uh, at any point in his career, I'm going to consider it a disappointment.
2: This is the the biggest test year for him because all these tools have been very, very well uh, showcased, and the strong finish of the year did a lot to salvage his season that was mired by injury and streakiness and playing on a terrible hockey team, which is a ter- the worst affliction of all. Um, he's in the he's in a contract year now. He took a bridge. He took two years at $3.3 million, which was um, a great signing from a Detroit Red Wings perspective. And for him, he was betting on himself. If if Anthony Mantha doesn't come out all guns ablaze, you know, 30, 35, maybe
1: even 40 goals this year, whenever, when is it ever going to happen? If it doesn't happen this year with assuming he stays in that line with Larkin and assuming he's in his proper spot in the power play. If it doesn't happen this year, it's not going to happen. Again, we talk about what a player's prime is nowadays. He was drafted in 2013, I believe. So that would make him 24. Uh, He's 20. He'll
2: be 25 in September.
1: So he's 24. Good. Nailed it. So he's, he's in his prime. This is it. This is who he is. This is his year. He's had injuries, he's had inconsistencies, he came up late. It's understandable that he developed a little slower than everybody else. No more excuses, he just had near a full year. We saw what he did on the top line, we're seeing. He was leading the World Championships in scoring up till two days ago, and then today's game brought him back to third. He's There's nothing holding him back at this point other than him.
2: Basically, our, our Red Wings player profile in Anthony Manta is,
1: this guy is already good, and he can be great. Uh, our 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 Anthony Mantha profile is he is Nike, just do it. Oh, honestly,
2: just like just, just do, do
1: it, it, Anthony. Like there's he
2: is one of the most exciting players that are that's currently on the Red Wings. Where if this team turns it around, if and when I'm not gonna put a time frame on that because it, spoiler, it's still gonna take a while. But if he comes through it, I th- I genuinely think he's going to be one of the shining stars on this team. He's gonna be you're gonna consider him the same way you consider Franz and Holmstrom in those playoff runs, where it's just like such a solid contribution to this team and who plays like a star. I I that that's his potential. Where he ends up, like he needs to do a lot of things right to get there, but the tools are there. We talk about the raw skill and the talent and the ability. He is he is the biggest person. Well, he's a big guy, but he is the biggest factor holding himself back from that. I, I think everything else will be there, especially now that he's going to get some better players to play with, and and maybe even this draft another good centerman to possibly play with. So doesn't matter which line he's on. Anthony Mantha has every opportunity to be a stalwart, and absolute gold star. In Detroit. Sorry, I just had a vision of Trevor egress to Mantha. Anyways. <laughs> So that that's that's the Red Wings player profile. Um, we're gonna continue these uh these throughout the year or throughout the summer, approaching the year. So
1: who do we have up uh next? Actually next week, let our next episode sorry, we are our prospect profile is Kirby Doc, and our Red Wings profile is Tyler Bertuzzi, oh, as we Tyler continue Jones. to work our way through the wingers. And then the episode after that is Darren Helm and Cole Caulfield.
2: Tyler Bertuzzi,
1: you mean defenseman? <laughs> defenseman Tyler Bertuzzi. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he'll actually play a game, but he was... For anybody who didn't see it, uh, Team Canada at the World Championships got so injured, they were actually running Tyler Bertuzzi on defense and practice. Uh, update, Boston is officially... Uh, Shut Stanley up, Cup don't finals. finish your sentence. Yeah, they've swept Carolina.
2: They're playing for the Stanley Cup. Save us Western Conference. You're our
1: only hope. Uh, How many uh, times have we said that? It's like uh, Hey, it's not we're not too far removed from Eric Carlson Eric Carlson torching Boston in a playoff series, okay? No, we're not. It's happened recently. It's it could happen before. again.
2: Uh it's gonna that's gonna be a hard finals to predict. <laughs> it's hard to stop Boston right now. Tuka rask is playing out of his damn mind. Another I'm picking
1: whoever way. comes out of the West. I don't even care. And Another
2: I'm calling it in a sweep. Another shutout tonight.
1: It's, it's Tuca, not Tuca.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to head over to overtime where all of our uh, patrons get their comments read out on air, guaranteed as our way of saying thank you, uh, especially during these midweek episodes where you're only going to hear from patrons. Uh, so we will start with Hunter Saunders says, Sup, guys. Do you think there's a way to remove review except in cases of obvious mistakes? Like a Duchesne event, make that reviewed by Toronto objectively, and they tell the on-ice officials to call. Or if we keep the current reviews, you can have one person in the war room making every goal interference call, another making every offside call, etc. This way, at least the calls are more consistent because it's one person's interpretation of the rule instead of every ref's interpretation. I know we don't want to take power away from the refs, but you have reviews uh, in place. That means we want to get it right, and they aren't getting them right. You'll never walk alone. Liverpool, June 1st against Tottenham. Champions League final. Watch. No. We did. I don't love the idea of one person doing it. I think there should be a, a panel of people, and I think they need to sit down and figure it the furk out as to what goal interference is, as to what the threshold is going to be for these things.
1: Hockey is too random, and there are too many variations to every play to ever get any level of consistency. This is why I'm very anti-review, and um, I, and again, even if we had a fifth ref in the arena just sitting there ready to blow a play dead saying this happened that happened it'll never happen as fast as you want it to you can't get these guys can't make up their mind in 15-20 seconds it just doesn't happen
2: Uh, John Evans says, "Greetings from Ohio." You mentioned a slightly embarrassing passing with Chris Chelios a few weeks ago, and I'd been meaning to share my story of meeting him, but I haven't had a chance to get it on a thread till today. Uh, I went to Chicago-Detroit game and I saw a line forming on the concourse, but couldn't determine why. Lo and behold, Chelios was doing a book signing. Quickly hopped in line and tried to think of something funny to say after shaking his hand. I decided on, "My dad said you owe him twenty dollars. Could I get that from you?" As I got closer, I became more and more nervous and repeated it to myself about a hundred times, only to finally sit down with him and blurt out, my dad owes you $20. Could I get that from you? Chelios looked at me slightly confused and asked, wouldn't that mean you give me $20? To which I replied, I would like to leave now. Chelyos graciously let me slink away, but I have a signed copy of his book, so there's that. I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs> One time, uh, the bank teller, told, bank teller told me happy birthday, and uh, I said, you too. And I stood there and I said, well... It's not your birthday. And I said, well, I can't presume to know. And then I just left. (laughs) Uh, Nick, uh, It's
1: not that hard to not be socially awkward, guys. Come on, Ryan, do better. Yeah. Nick
2: Toyeas, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, Toyez says, Hola, mates. I've recently re-listened to your pre-draft episode from last uh, or the last one where Domi for Galchenyuk trade broke. You mentioned how this was a steal for Arizona, but now that a year has passed, it seems Montreal got the better end. Do you now have differing opinions of the trade now that we've seen how they play in your homes? Yeah, I, I've gone on record to say before that that's one that um, I definitely have had to eat crow on. A lot of like, and this isn't to you know try to mitigate how wrong we were because we were wrong. Uh, but a lot of the hockey world looked at that trade
1: and thought, why? Um, keep talking. I'm looking up a stat here quickly that I'm pretty sure is correct, but I don't want to... Talk out my butt. and be wrong.
2: A lot of this was colored by Mark Bergevin. Didn't exactly have the best reputation as a general manager at the time. And still might not. uh, But this was one of his more shrewd moves where where it completely panned out. Uh, Domi was kind of tapering off in Arizona. And so people just assumed, myself included, that going to a Montreal team that was trending downwards wouldn't necessarily revitalize him. And lo and behold, he's
1: one of the most effective players in the league, let alone on that team. It worked out very well for Montreal. Very, very well. Because Max Domi was struggling in Arizona. Arizona did not have much of an offense this year or many of the years before it. And again, Domi failed to hit double-digit goals in either of those seasons. Here's the thing, though. I'm not going to say that trade was as lopsided as everybody's making it out to be. I don't think it's lopsided. Not lopsided. But I'd say the trade worked out well for both teams. Because Max Domi wasn't doing anything in Arizona. And Pop Quiz... Do you know who led the Arizona Coyotes in goals this year? Alex Galchenyuk. Now, mind you, nobody on Arizona broke 20 goals, but Galchenyuk had 19 on a team that really struggled to get any offense. He was the best of them from a goal department. So that was a 10-goal improvement from what Max Domi gave them the year before. Again, I still think, looking back at it hindsight, Montreal has won this trade, but it it worked out for both teams for what they were hoping. Uh, Joseph Craig
2: says, so if we end up with the Sharks Bruins final, do we even need refs? Who will win the battle of
1: bad slash no calls? Oh, there's no stopping San Jose right now. Yeah, no. San Jose is the team of destiny right now. They are the one. The universe is lining up for a game seven. Would Boston host? Yeah, Boston would host. Game seven in Boston. 3-3 3-3 tie going into overtime. Joe Thornton has all three goals in regulation for San Jose. And he completes the cock trick in overtime. And chaos reigns at center ice as police try to escort him off the ice. Did you just say cock trick? <laughs> That's what four goals is for Joe Thornton. <laughs> uh, Marissa says, "Are y'all going to do a player profile of Choloski later?" Absolutely. Yes, we mapped out our thing. That's gonna. He's going to be late June, early
2: July. Uh, I haven't watched any Griff's games, but I heard he hasn't been doing great, and that makes me sad. Do you think he'll be back on the
1: wings next season? He yes, better be. I don't. Do I think he will be? No, actually, not, maybe not was... full
2: time, but you'll see him.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, and bring his game back up to where it was before he dropped off. Yeah. Without diving too much into the actual profile, uh, for a rookie defenseman to come in, be as effective as he was, and then taper off is actually such a normal progression, even for a great prospect. It is extremely hard to be a rookie in today's NHL. It is even harder to be a rookie defenseman. You are very, very liable for lots of parts of the games that are unrewarding, unrecognized, but crucially important. So it's oft overlooked, but it's very, very difficult even to maintain consistency. If you produce well to start.
1: So Bill Bill Peters, 200 game rule. You don't get comfortable as a defense, but in the NHL till you've played at least 200 games, it might even be 300.
2: Uh, Also here have some more this or that questions morning shower or night shower morning. I'm a night shower person, but I think morning ones are better for me,
1: but I'm just a piece of garbage based on my current uh, schedule. I don't get a choice on when I can. I just kind of have to fit them in whenever summer or winter summer, summer,
2: Go out or stay in? Stay in. Stay in. Yeah. Ebook or paper book? Ooh. I have an e-reader. I still like reading paper books better.
1: Paper book better on my eyes? Marvel or DC?
2: Marvel. Marvel is run away with it. Uh, white bread or wheat bread? Wheat. Okay. I will eat wheat because it's better for me, but white bread is so damn good. Eh, it's all right overcast or sunny 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 come on structured plan or go with the flow
1: oh structured
2: structured but i want to say like when i take vacations i'll have like big things that i'll want to do a
1: few anchor points and besides that i just kind of like okay let me i'm going to preface this just me and my wife go with the flow if it involves even as many as three people that needs to be structured or everything's going sideways
2: uh, and then last one is the easiest one ever, rare steak or well done steak.
1: If anybody orders well done, uh, we're going to have a very long, unpleasant chat. Yeah. Don't do that. Do you do see you- that commercial where they they showed the guy eating a well done steak and smothering ketchup? It gave me an aneurysm. Ugh. Ugh. I, uh,
2: so my mom is one of the best cooks I've ever known. Um, the most incredible Middle Eastern food. Almost everything else she nails, but i Middle Eastern cuisine gets steaks done like well done all the time, and it's just so for most of my life, I grew up thinking I didn't like steaks, but it turns
1: out I just didn't like chewing on leather. So it was a it was a big revelation when I had my first rare steak. I will hear an argument if you like it medium, but anything above that is just I think
2: medium is an affront to nature itself. Uh, there are steaks that are better medium rare for sure, depending on the fat content. You want it to be cooked out a little bit more, but I think medium rare. If you're freaked out by, you know, seeing red on your plate, then just don't order a steak. Do yourself a favor, get chicken. Uh, Joseph Delia says, "Hey guys, last year about this time we heard that Carolina was going to take Sveshnikov. When and do you think uh, we'll hear whispers about who Chicago and possibly after who Colorado are going to take? Both teams seem to have projected uh, good projected decor, but I could totally see one of them turning taking uh, Byram and turning into Nashville slash Carolina." etc team with just a stack D, but still hoping
1: he slips. Thank you. Man, Chicago's a wild card here. They're they don't that's an organization that doesn't let a lot get out. So I don't I don't think we're gonna hear anything. Ah, uh, you know what? I, I feel like you hear whispers no matter what.
2: Things are starting to solidify as Turcotte. So right now, provided that nothing else changes. But
1: has anybody reputable said Turcotte? I know a lot of pundits, ourselves included, are saying that makes a lot of sense for Chicago. But I've not heard anything from anybody reputable saying Chicago is Turkot. Turcotte. No,
2: no. I, you're right. But based on what we know, that's the best prediction I can make. There, I am starting to wonder how much chatter we'll hear, um, which is surprising because this draft is prone to chatter but then again this draft is also prone to noise and those are two different things right so uh, we might be there might be a lot of surprises or we might be surprised to see you know we might be shocked and then when you we look back at it a day later we say oh yeah well I mean that was obviously going to be the outcome like Turkot Byram whatever it was obviously going to be the outcome so I don't know I don't think we'll hear a ton I don't think we'll hear anything with a hundred percent consistency and nothing with more confidence than one or two picks ahead of
1: wherever we are, but we won't even that nobody knew Barrett Hayton was coming last year until John shake has said his name. Yeah. We might
2: be in for, we might be in the dark until, you know, whoever's up on the podium is speaking. Uh, Matthew Tangsrud says hey guys just started listening to your podcast about three weeks ago oh a new patron welcome to the uh, family Matthew Um, and thank you for your support Uh, and really enjoying listening to your discussions on all things Red Wings as a guy in North Dakota I don't get a lot of that yesterday I saw a couple of articles regarding the idea on a trade involving either Mantha or Athanasiu at this point, it sounds like more—it sounds more like throwing ideas around than a legit rumor. But if a trade with either of them did happen, would you rather trade for a defenseman or try to move up in the draft to make sure you get Byram or Turcotte? Also, which of them would you move to make a trade?
1: Uh, I would move Athanasius. I think his value, his perceived value, would be higher. His perceived value would be higher, but I, again, as I just mentioned, I think Mantha is actually the superior player. Um, I would prefer to not move either of them. Um, I would move them for defenseman. And the one thing that's worth noting. Is our new GM is the GM who traded a young Jonathan Drouin for Mikhail Sergachev. So he's not afraid to make those moves. Not that I would bet on that happening this quickly. But it could happen.
2: Uh, Kalen Wood. Radical idea says remove cameras altogether. Also penalties and refs a la NHL hits. Let's do it. Let's just commit to the bit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> k was says uh so uh the sharks are sure getting lucky even though i kind of room ru- i am kind of rooting for them to win the cup that was clearly an egregious miss i uh, moving again do you guys find moving fun or annoying annoying God, Who likes moving if you like it come please i have to move soon
1: i've had to move so many times in my life the last time i did it i literally shelled out 400 bucks to have movers come and do it for me i was i packed and i that was it Here's my shit. Take it somewhere else. Oh, funny
2: enough, the next sentence is I think it's more fun than irritating at this moment. Might be the fact that I'm single. Another side note Have any of you ever learned to play an instrument and have you still kept playing slash don't anymore? I recently just got back into the cello and I love that I did.
1: I am the least musically inclined person on the face of the earth. I learned alto sax
2: uh, in school. I loved it. I stopped the moment I stopped having music classes. I don't Fox wish I went on
1: back. Can't help it, eh? Couldn't help it. Uh,
2: hey, there's never a bad time for a Simpsons reference. No, there absolutely is not. <laughs> this is the worst episode of Game of Thrones you've seen so far. <laughs> um, I don't I, I wish I would have learned violin as a kid, actually. I really, really wish or or the cello. So go go ahead. I can see the joke for me. No. <laughs> Joseph Fornia says, so seeing a lot of rumors about potential trades and signings for the Wings this offseason, one thing people have to keep in mind is if a player comes in, then who goes out to make room for that incoming player? A lot of recent fodder has been laughable, including uh, Burnside's uh, recent Atlantic Division preview on the Athletic, which is surprising because the Athletic is a cr- consistently great source. So let's take a step back for a moment. Given the current logjam on defense as well as forwards, who may not be ready in our running out of time? What wings expiring RFAs do you expect to stay or walk? Especially thoughts on sorry RV. Uh, Also, after having never seen an episode of Game of Thrones, I binged seven seasons and five episodes in two weeks, and I'm ready for the finale and may have given myself brain damage. You and Max are nuts, man. Stay fresh, cheese bags. So I I want to start by saying projecting the Red Wings right now is incredibly boring. So you're
1: going to see a lot of people spicing it up because they're going to be in stasis. So let me give you the simplest take I can have. If the Red Wings sign in Eric Carlson, I really don't care what happens with any defenseman in the organization, well, who played for Detroit and Grand Rapids this year, outside of Philip Peronic and Dennis Chelowski. Sorry, Harvey's not progressing like I hoped. Joe Hicketts is a great defense, is a good defenseman, and if he's going to be a bottom pair guy for Detroit long term, amazing. If he's not, he doesn't move the needle that much. I would much prefer him in there over Daly or Erickson or some of these other guys. But again, he's not a needle mover. Mike Green's contract's expiring this year, so who cares? Erickson and Daly are expiring this year, so who cares? Cronwell's already technically a UFA. I love the guy, but I don't really care what happens with him. So if the Red Wings bring in defensemen and jettison everybody else out of the organization outside of Choloski and Hronik, I'm okay with it. So sorry,
2: RV did not have a thrilling season. And I know a lot of people are projecting this next season as his year to really prove it. I appreciate, I, I appreciate that optimism, but if you're asking me thoughts on sorry, RV, I, I think he's going to get leapfrogged.
1: I, I, I tend to agree because so he did make a lot of strides defensively this year. I know it's a flawed stat, but he did lead the Griffins in plus minus, which was a pleasant surprise. Um, so he, he's become capable defensively more than I thought he would, but here's the problem. Sorry, is not gonna be good because of his defense. When he was in junior and playing for Finland, he was an elite level offensive defenseman, and we have not seen that offense translate to the AHL yet. So this You wanna
2: see more than sixteen points in seventy games.
1: This is his year to prove it as the number one power play quarterback and put up some points if he plays 70 games this year i want to see 35 to 40 points out of him in the hl minimum before i'll consider him a, a a real threat to do anything in the nhl
2: uh mark burnham says lots of comments on reddit right now saying that they should review every goal like the nfl does touchdowns no i don't think the league is dumb enough to do anything like that but it seems inevitable that the review system will be expanded yeah. so instead of arguing against it let's try to figure out a way to make it work smoothly here's my plan one, first First and foremost, prioritize the flow of the game. Never go anywhere near what the NFL has. 2. Eliminate the coach's challenge completely. Partly helps with the flow of the game, partly takes any strategy out of reviews. 3. Assign one or two refs in Toronto to watch each game as it happens. They can't make calls, but they can trigger a review on a major play if they spot something obvious that the in-game refs missed. 4. Keep reviews short. If it takes more than 30 seconds to decide for sure, call in the ice stands, play on. This would correct major mistakes and prevent hair-splitting. Asterisk, uh, major play needs to be defined. I think think of it as a goal or a major penalty. Having a ref or two watching on a video feed would help a lot, in my opinion. Gives a wider angle and different sight lines that on ice refs wouldn't have. I'm sure that the refs missed the hand pass last night because someone flew across the view at just the wrong time, blocking their line of sight. Happens just sucks that it gets amplified in this type of situation. It's not perfect, but
1: it's a start. Above all, all else, again, preserve the flow of the game. I'm happy you brought up the NFL because uh mark my words, I just wanted to make this point, and I forgot to make it with Max. Now that they're reviewing penalties in the NFL, like pass interference, prepare for hell. Yeah. I'm prepare not sure for how that's absolute go. hell. As bad as I think the reviews in the NHL are right now, these pass interference reviews in the NFL are going to be atrocious so bad. Buckle up, buckaroos. I don't hate the idea, uh, getting back to your point, of a fifth referee. I just don't think that he would be able to make any sort of a decision quick enough to really justify his spot there. Because even if he wants to like queue up a video just to look at a replay of something that happened five seconds ago, it'll probably take him 10 to 15 seconds to do that. In which case, by that point, there could have been another whistle, a goal, an offside. In which case, it kind of negates what he was trying to do anyway.
2: I need to put my thoughts... You know, formulate them a little bit better because I know where I fall, but I, I, I'm just having a hard time articulating it right now. I think an assisted referee, like a, an eye in the sky kind of thing, I saw someone propose a seat on the top of the glass, which is funny, like a lifeguard. Uh, I think that's the right way to go. I think it needs to be executed in a way... I, like What Max mentioned I think is fun, but I, I'm not... I, I'm a hockey purist at heart. I don't like gaming the review system. I think that's counter to the spirit of the game. I want to um, use that argument against... People who talk about the spirit of the game, I understand the gamesmanship that can happen, but I think it would make it contrived if you created a situation intentionally for it to happen.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, it's weird though that you say hockey purist and then I'm a hockey purist. I consider myself a hockey purist in my stance is abolish all reviews. <laughs> Just let the flow of the game happen. Uh, random chance happens. The refs are going to screw you as much as they help you. It all balances out in the end. And yeah, every once in a while it's going to happen at a really inopportune time, but. In a couple of years, it might happen for you. So,
2: Liz Barbudo says the cup final is going to seven games and the winning goal is going to come on a play that can't be reviewed, isn't it? Oh,
1: absolutely. Point shot tipped, hits the net, bounces off the goalie's back in the net. Stanley Cup goes to San Jose. It's still better than the Kane goal, though. It's still better. The, than I that. love, I actually loved that Kane, how that all went down. The confusion, the celebration, the. The 30 seconds before anybody realized the puck was actually in the net and how long it took the networks to go to the overhead view. I absolutely like I was upset Chicago won, but I loved the chaos around it.
2: I, uh, I just like the idea of like the celebration right after the goal going in, but
1: I did like how Kane knew right away. Oh, yeah, it was it was beautiful. I loved watching the reactions of the Hawks like, yeah, as they're looking down the (laughs) eyes like, yeah, do we celebrate Quenville hugging his coaches kind of like, yeah. Yeah. And then they moved the net and they saw the puck come out and you could see the coach's reaction. There is. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I actually I thought it was a really unique and cool moment in hockey history uh so
2: before we wrap up this episode uh it is a long weekend for us here so uh we're gonna be coming back at you on monday night so you uh can't expect the usual weekend sunday episode to be pushed uh just a day uh i'm gonna be out camping with uh the better half and the dog uh as well as some other uh friends and some other dogs listen you
1: don't have to call him a dog
2: I would not bring Evan with me camping, (laughs) although Evan and Abby probably do bring the same amount of value to any given situation. I, I'm curious to see you camping. I actually love it. I know. Uh, we. T- I was talking to you about it before we called Max. Like, I'm a diva. Like, you know me. I, I'm. That's what I'm wondering. Like, I can't picture you, air quotations, roughing it. I genuinely, I was concerned the first time I did it. I didn't know how I would handle it. But I really just, like, my feet are off. Or my feet are off. My shoes are off. Like, I'm barefoot in the water. I'm walking around. Like, I, I love roughing it. I love being out there. It's very serene. I don't naturally take myself out of just, like, being connected at all times. So like the moment I can remove myself from that and like force myself to just enjoy it, like that's my I love it. Wouldn't do it. I like I don't want to like live out. The, uh, I mean I might get to a point in my life where I'm just like give me a shack on the water, a gun and a dog, and I'll be happy. But
1: I got friend I got family in Halliburton. I've went up there in the fall. Don't 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 move there
2: <laughs> it's good for a few weeks here. uh with that we're
1: gonna wrap up this episode
2: uh we want to thank all of our patrons all of our listeners our name level sponsors sky carcass luke jar luke johnson arjun shanker clayton van dyken mike reed langabeer kaylin wood charlie elkins rob thiel stan olson ryan Allant ryan lewis uh hannah lee thank you all so much uh we appreciate appreciate you guys and uh we will see you after a long weekend